you serious? These guys give me no notice whatsoever. None. They just told me just now that we're on. Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. Uh, I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Why don't we, we begin with a prayer? Uh, Father in heaven, we uh, love you and seek you and uh, need you. We're so grateful that you uh, sent your only begotten son and uh, gave uh, him so that we could uh, have life, uh, continuation of life after this. And we just pray that your spirit will be with our uh, audience here in-house, people who watch from home, people who watch the archives, and then our volunteers who uh, get everything going and running on the internet, etc. We love you and we uh, seek you and just pray that you'll be with us and soften our hearts, help us to approach you humbly and, and um, in truth. And in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So last week, uh, I had the honor to interview uh, my mom. After 11 years of doing shows every week, I uh, was able to interview my active LDS uh, faithful mom here on the, actually did it from her home in San Diego with my dad and had numerous favorable responses from uh, people I know and love uh, about her demeanor and about her, uh, her story, etc. And my dad uh, and I, in this interview tonight, we're gonna watch him, we get, it's shorter, it's about 40 minutes, we get right into the discussion as my mom gave details about his early life. Um, you remember that she was 11, he was 15 when they met. His parents were in jail because of neglect of him. They were both alcoholics. He grew up on the streets of uh, L.A., Watts. Um, a tough upbringing, this guy. I mean, uh, pretty much, as, as you would say it, I mean, in Christian vernacular, this isn't said, but a, a self-made man. And uh, so where my mom is a woman of faith and uh, a, one who prayed and one who uh, seeks the Lord uh, and is faithful to her religion, my dad is not a man of faith, um, but a hard worker, faithful, uh, devoted to his children, six children, and the most honest man I've ever met. He is a man of personal integrity, but not a man of faith. And I wanted to interview him because I want you to see what I see, and I want you to hear what I hear when we talk about these two these are, these are my parental influences. We have on one side uh, my mom, and we have the other side, we've got Ed. We have Lou and Ed. And uh, so without further ado, let's just uh, get into this interview with my dad. All right, we're here with my dad. Uh, how old are you, dad? I'm uh, 85. 85 years of age, and you just heard from my mom last week, and she kind of told their uh, young life and what she went through and how they met and she, he was working for U.S. Rubber and, and she made some observations about my dad. She said he's always been a hard worker and uh, we'll get more into that from my perspective and from his. But she also noted that when she met him when they were very young, he was 15 and she was 11 I think, 10 or 11, he, his parents were in jail. And so we have a backdrop for a man who could have gone the other direction, which many people do, and said, hey, my parents were in jail, my parents drank, I'm going to go that route. Or you have people who say, no, I'm going to take the other path, and I'm going to meet this world with some responsibility and take action for myself. And if I've ever known anybody who's about... <laughs> it's devil. He's calling right now. 
This is going to make it into the reel, by the way. Uh, so, Dad, tell us about your thoughts growing up in that situation. Where was it? How, what did you think? Well, it was during the Depression that uh, I formed my, my thinking and uh, my work ethic. Uh, it was, uh, you had to work for money. And I've done that ever since I was a kid, you know, eight years old. I used to pull weeds for people or mow lawns or whatever needed to be done. And my dad was, uh, he was a good teacher as far as uh, fixing things and stuff like that. So he, he taught me that. My mom was also very handy uh, up until... Uh, I was about 10 years old, and then they started drinking, and uh, I was on my own. Mm. I've been on my own most of my life. They let me roam the streets and the alleys and the backside of uh, Los Angeles uh, when I was a kid, mm. and I just fell right into that, and I enjoyed the freedom. I, I was a free person. Mm -hmm. I wasn't uh, constrained by too much parental control and uh, I got baptized <laughs> in the Baptist Church when wow. I was eight years old. I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. And uh, it was an experience but I fell out right away because the preacher, Ed Wessel was his name, would not allow his family to play with the, the kids in the neighborhood. Wow. He was that strict. Huh. And uh, so I felt like, well, he's he's uh, better than me or something. And I dropped out of that church quickly. Huh. But, uh, and then the work ethic was uh, ingrained in me uh, at an early age. And I, uh, I carried it through to adulthood. And... You know, I've had one or two jobs going all the time. Yeah. And I knew when I got married that that was my responsibility to uh, provide for the family. And I think I've done a pretty good job of that. I'm mm -hmm. not ashamed of anything I've done there. Yeah. Uh, I, just, did, oh, go ahead. I did. I did uh, uh, have a wild side from about the age of 15 or 16 until uh, maybe 24, 25. And uh, I was drinking, smoking pot, and uh, doing things that I shouldn't do before I got married. And then I, I changed some of it, but uh, not all of it, until I, uh, I decided to clean my act up. Mm. Uh, really quick, going back, was it love at first sight with mom? I think so. I, I you know, I saw her for the first time. My cousin and I were living in a room built off of a garage by my uncle, and uh, Lee and I had the upper booth, upper upper bunk, and he had the lower one, and uh, she came over to visit with her mom because her, her mom and my aunt were close. And uh, uh, she came out to the 
the little room, and I was up on the on the top bunk, and I looked down at her, and I thought, oh, she's a, a cute girl, you know, and that was my first experience, but, and then we went on a picnic, and that solidified my thinking. Oh. Yeah. Uh. You, uh, just to let you guys know, uh, my mom had one sister. She's since passed, and of course she had her family. So she had a sister. My dad didn't have any living siblings. So from these two, we have how many uh, kids? You had six. How many we grandkids? Have, we have uh, 26 grandchildren. 26 grandkids. And 33 at the present time. Great grandchildren. Thirty-three great. Hoping for more. <laughs> well, he's looking at Cassidy and Matt right now who are doing the filming. So, Dad, you were baptized and and you're up to fifteen before you went a little more wild. Did you have any inclinations toward God? I don't think so. Mm. I don't think I thought much about it. Mm. I uh, I'm sort of like I was in that field right mm. now. Mm. I don't know whether he exists or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a thrill, you know. Prove it. Mm -hmm. You can't prove it. No. Nobody's been able to prove it to me. No. So how can I take somebody else's word for it that is uh, on the same level as I am? Yeah. Or thinking that way, uh, I I have a hard time with that. Mm -hmm. I went to the state pre the uh, mission temple president when I was working in the temple and asked him a pertinent question about when the females in Salt Lake were raising Cain. ERA. Yeah. And uh, I says, uh, what is the feelings of the, of the church on that? And he says, well, whatever the elders of the church say, that's that's what our feelings are. And I says, that's not a good answer. Mm. You know, that's not a clarifying answer for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when my doubts got stronger and my, my resolution to stay in the church disappeared. Mm. So let's go back. Mom brought us up to joining the church, how a couple of years after she joined, you joined. And you did that. Tell us why you did it. Because of the family. Yeah. The family was, uh, you know, I think we had three or four kids. And I, uh, I felt like I didn't have the control and the church had programs that were very helpful to raising a family. And so I looked at that very closely. And that was my decision to... Uh, to join it and be part of it and maybe learn something mm -hmm. about raising my family and give them the opportunity to have a religion and uh, and enjoy the uh, the programs that the church offered. Mm -hmm. So growing up and going with you when I was younger uh, to priesthood and things. You were always involved not only with your work, but you're also involved with uh, mechanics and you're involved with yard work and building kayaks and doing all sorts of adventurous man things, which you enjoyed, seemed to enjoy that part of the LDS relationship. But when we would go to things like sacrament meeting or priesthood especially, I just remember um, sensing that it was killing you. 
that, that you were waiting for the time to end. I wasn't too happy. I was glad to get out of there at the end. Yeah. Every edit of every meeting. I I uh, became a a scouter. Yeah. And uh, enjoyed that. Yeah. Because I'm out of the church. Yeah. I'm not listening to sermons. Yeah. And people telling me how I should be. I was I'm out there in the wild and and uh, I love that. Yeah, that was good. This is fascinating because he's saying how I, I, I didn't like people telling me how I should be. And we would think, well, you know, who are you? you? You're so arrogant. What do you mean? People should tell you how you should be. You're too individualistic, right? And, and yet, how is he? Now, personally, like all of us, he has some quirks, definitely. Especially when you consider where he came from, right? But... He hasn't needed anybody to tell him how to be, and I'm going to talk about some categories. So how did you make your decision how, what kind of husband to be? How did you make your decision what kind of father to be to your children? Why did you become a provider? And you always provided. You worked hard to provide. What was it? I mean, are you God? Do you have such greatness in your own person? What was it? I, I think... Uh... I analyzed that before I got married. I knew that I wanted a family. And with that comes the responsibility of taking care of them. Mm -hmm. If you can't take care of your family, and there's a lot of people not doing it, I, I've, I feel like, and, and offer them everything that you have and uh, perfect those things so that they, they get something out of this world too. I I think that the uh, you're on the wrong track. Uh, there's a sacrifice to being a good parent, and that's saying no when you know there's a it's a gray area, mm -hmm. and you have to make that decision that it's either good or bad or indifferent, mm -hmm. and you have to say no. So uh, the idea of training children to choose and you kind of had this instinctual right and wrong built in to you and and not that your right and wrongs are perfect you probably have some very weird areas of what's right and what's wrong but you have them do you think any of that came from did you look at your parents and say look I'm gonna marry this young girl we're gonna I, we're gonna have six kids is what mom told us that's what you said early on we said it you want to have six kids and you did and so did you look at your family and say, I've looked around the world. I, I was part of a street gang in L.A. Uh, I got into some trouble. I, I, I've seen what that world offers. I'm going to make better decisions. Or is it just part of your character to say, this is right, this is wrong? I think that kind of grew, mm. that uh, making the good decisions. Mm. Uh, it took me a while. I think I was making bad decisions for a while. Maybe quite a while, maybe 10 years. Mm -hmm. But somewhere along the way, I had the brain power to think things through and realize what was there. I had a couple of good examples in uh, uh, my family. I had an Aunt Rita and Uncle Earl that had a a great family. They had three children, lost one. 
Uh, I had an Aunt Lily that was a, a, a very fine woman. She was my grandfather's um, sister. And uh, she was from Arkansas, but she was a great lady, always treated me right. Both of those people, and my Uncle Al, who I lived with, was a good guy, except he had some problems too. So, and I, I grew up with my grandfather taking me in an old wagon that he built when I was a little boy, up until about five years old. He took me all over South LA and met his friends, his politician friends and his other friends, and he knew everybody. You know, we couldn't go buy one, one house without him. If somebody was out, he was going to talk to him. And I learned a lot from him because he, he couldn't see very good and he would ask me to describe where we were at, what we were doing, who's in the yard, you know, all that stuff. What, what kind of ducks are those? What kind of geese are those? Swans. And uh, so it was, it was a, a learning curve with him. And he, uh, he gave me a good start in the first five years. Let me appeal to something. Uh, my dad is a bit, very big naturalist. If you remember Omaha, Mitchell Omaha's Wild Kingdom, this is that dude who used to roam around and chase the animals. I mean, he has always loved animals. Yeah. Uh, everything about biology and, and, and plants. He's a tremendous gardener, fruit trees. Dad, because my dad is a professed non-believer, uh, maybe even atheist, maybe agnostic, not sure. When you see all this order, when you see the re do you think it just came from a non-creator? I have a real problem with that, Sean. I watched a couple of nature shows and uh, a couple of uh, NASA programs, and the world, as they show it now, and what we've learned in the last 25 years about a solar system mm -hmm. is so entertaining and so unbelievable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like God. You know, you, you, you uh, if when you say unbelievable, I mean, it's so massive. You can't put your finger on what it's like out there. It's, it's you know, to describe it they go for millions of miles, and they find galaxies like yeah. we, where we live in, yeah. with the Earth, the Sun, yeah. all the planets. Billions so, of them. Yeah, and it's it's that's drawing me in to believing maybe there is a God. Mm. How did all that get created? Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm in a, a breaking point of changing my views, maybe. I'm trying to discover what's there before I leave this earth. Mm. And if there is one and I meet him. Yeah. You, had to, you had to summarize with that last part. We're like, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing about this uh, to me is uh, you're, you're 
seeing design. And we know from studying scripture that uh, there are seven ways, essentially, that God draws people to him. And I could go through and try to articulate those. But the first one, one of the first ones is through the cosmos. That's one of the main ones of the Old Testament is that through the system, he reveals himself is what it says. And so we're seeing right here that this is one person. He's been pretty staunch on his thoughts this whole time. He's starting to crack open a bit with the idea that this is just unbelievable what the cosmos are showing us. And yet there has maybe there is a creator to all this because how else would it come to be? I have there's no no end. No end. It just keeps going. You know what's also interesting is it works the reverse. If you go down to the subatomic level and you get into the cells and things of all the or it's just as vast and radical yeah. as it as that. Yeah. Pretty wild. Pretty wild. So let's get back to you as an individual, and this is leading to a point which I want to get to, which I got to with my mom on the show last week, and that is you're raising kids now. You have Kathy, you have Jeff, Shannon, Sean, Bridget, Bo, and you're trying to bring them up, and you're, you're active in the church. You go, and you even did the temple for a while. You worked in the temple with mom, and um, what... After that moment when that guy didn't give you the answer you wanted, did you have an exit plan? Did you say? No, I didn't have an exit. I just wanted an answer that made sense to me. But because the brethren said so is not an answer to me. You don't like non-answers. No, I, I, want, a, I want a detailed answer of why, why he's thinking that way. Mm. You know, he thinks just like the brethren in mm-hmm. Salt Lake. And that's what he related to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm say, I'm thinking, if he thinks that I'm going to accept that, and that was the end of our, our conversation. Mm-hmm. I just asked the question, and I got up and walked out. And then I got to thinking about it, and, and I thought, I can't accept that. So one of the apostles years ago, and this isn't to pick on the Mormon church, but one of the apostles, Boyd K. Packer, said, when the brethren have spoken, the thinking has been done. That's, that is correct. You didn't like that. No. Yeah. I remember going through the temple with you when Mary and I were first married, and I don't remember who it was, but we were in there for some reason, and you asked some questions, and someone shut you down. Yeah. They they said that's not important for you or something to the effect. I don't know if you even remember that. I don't I don't remember it, but I remember it affecting very, you. Very possible. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't like that. You're a questioner. Yeah. You want answers that are reasonable. Yeah, give me an answer. Yeah. If you got a, if you got a reason for me to do it, you better give me the answer. Right. Why I'm doing it. Whether it's right or wrong, they're going to give you something that at least you can work with. Yeah. Okay, and so talking to you, this is not a man of faith, okay? We're talking about a different area. We're talking about epistemology here and how we know something uh, through our minds. That's what he's operating off. Faith is a different category. You don't, like to, you don't like to delve in realms of faith, which is why the cosmos is speaking to you, because you're seeing something that's real, and yeah. it's out there, and you can't. It's so awesome, I can't fathom it. I can't. Get my Praise head God. around, where does it end? And we're spinning around the sun, you know? Yeah. Or I, don't, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> that, there's no answer there, maybe. There's no answer. 
That's what he's saying. But there's also an open, possibly, God. You worked hard. You taught me, if I can, if I can attribute anything to you, it's the work ethic. And I inherited to you either by genetics and or environment, but I did inherit the work ethic. Good. It's a great blessing to my life, personally. Um, you are also honest, from my estimation. You tried to be I honest. I tried to be honest. Now, you've had years of business, and being involved in business with my brother, your oldest son, and you ran a business, and while you have some strange ideas about some things which we're not going to get into here, you are an ethical man. You, you do want to be honest and upfront with your deals. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want, I don't like to be devious for the simple reason that one lie that I've found in my past, if you lie, then you're going to lie again to cover your ass. Mm. Excuse my language, but mm. that's what's going to happen. You can't get away with one little clean lie. It doesn't work. Mm. You know, you got to you got to keep the momentum going, mm. and you got to cover yourself up mm -hmm. so you don't get in, involved too deeply. So I, that's the way I feel about it. Mm. Tell the truth. If it doesn't fit, well, it doesn't fit. One quick story, anecdotal story. My dad and I went to Mexico years ago, and I went to a great deal of trouble to obtain uh, illegal fireworks of all manner and sizes and stuffed them and hid them in the car like a drug smuggler. They were everywhere in this car, perfectly hidden, sealed away behind plastic panels. We, I go to all this trouble. We pull up to the guy when you're trying to exit, and he says, do you have any illegal substances, fireworks, or alcohol? This guy says, yes, we do. <laughs> like, well, see, I knew something that tried to, if you lie and you're caught, <laughs> I knew it. I was just like, you've got to be kidding. Why didn't you stop me before? Why didn't you stop me from buying them, going to the trouble of hiding them? Well, I gotta tell you the story. Oh no, no, no! This is when things go south, big time. When we were younger, we used to go to Mexico. Oh. And for vacation, and one one time, I thought, well, I was drinking at the time, and there's this drink they call habanero, and it's it's uh, whiskey. So I said, I'm gonna take a bottle back. So I put it in the car. And I got to the guy, the checkpoint, he says, do you have anything to declare? I says, I have a bottle of habanero. And he says, you have what? And he says, get it out. So I got it out. And he says, now get rid of it. You can't take it across. So I poured it out. Right at this. So it ticked at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great. Because you have to smell it the whole day. <laughs> this is a, a man who's tried to live his life honestly. He's not sure on God. He's not a man of faith. We talk all about the importance of faith, but this is, I mean, straight up. But also, straight up, I've got a guy who's tried. He's, he's, he's done his best from where he came from to, and of course, my mother was a big help to him, a great help me. Probably saved 
in, in a number of ways over the course of his life. But nevertheless, he still made the decision to be a faithful husband and father, uh, to support the church things. He sent three sons on missions, did all that. When Bo came back, our youngest brother, that's when you started to say that's it. Yeah, that's when I said that that's it. Yeah. You know, I've, I've completed my mission. I've given them, I went on a mission for the church. Stake mission. Stake mission. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but when Bo came back, I couldn't live the, uh, and I was, I guess I was lying mm. uh, to a certain extent. You know, I was uh, carrying on with what the church wanted. Mm -hmm. I still, I'm still a member. Member. Yeah. I haven't uh, given that up, but I, uh, I wasn't being truthful with myself or the church. Mm -hmm. So. Do you feel any sense of guilt for not being as active in the church? No. Ever? None at all? No. Yeah. Because I, I feel like I'm right. <laughs> I wonder where I get this stuff. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> so if you don't mind, let's talk about um, your son, my brother, Jeff. Toughest thing in your life. Yeah. Jeff and my dad were partners in a steel business, steel fabrication business for many, many years. How many, how many years? 21 years. 21 years, worked together, and, uh, and my brother passed away. In fact, I'm the one who got the news and called my parents to tell them that uh, he had passed away, and it greatly affected our family. Of course, it affected my parents beyond what we can understand, but it also affected me, and it affected, it, it really did I think in some ways his death launched me into saying, okay, enough, enough BS with my life. I'm going to figure out what the heck's going on here for me. And that sort of launched me into looking at things too. You raised Jeff. He's your first son. You understood him. You got involved with him and all the things boys do. You were very big in that because that was what you do with a first son. You saw how he think, you know his personality, you know his defects, of course, and you know his strengths, the great things he was about. You watched him. Do you honestly, Dad, I'm, I'm, you said that we could talk about anything. Do you think that human being, Jeff, William Jeffrey McCraney, and all that he became and learned and took with him and gathered in his time here on Earth, has just gone? Well, I, I still have him in my thinking, in my heart, as your mother does. Of course. As you do. Yeah. But I, I have to think that uh, he is gone. Hmm. I mean, he's gone into the grave. He's nothing but dust now. But you know when you saw his body that went into the grave, when we dressed him and everything, you know that the Jeff that made Jeff Jeff was not in that body. And that's why the body was the way it was. It's obviously not a human being. What makes the human beings the life in it. And so... It, I don't know where that goes. You don't. I, I know you don't know. But are you so strong to suggest that 
you're sure it doesn't go anywhere? That that light hasn't become no, part of I, that cosmos? I don't know. I don't know for sure. Right. If I if I knew for sure, right. I'd join your church. <laughs> that's that's what we want too. <laughs> well, we would love that actually. <laughs> So, but did it cause you to reflect? I mean, that's the most brutal thing a parent can go through, the loss of a, of a child. Did it, it cause you to reflect? Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah I've, still the last 17 years has been nothing but reflection. Mm. I have something I would like to show you, but I can't mm. because I got to go get it. <laughs> and uh, so... Show us after. Yeah. All right. I'll tell you what it Does was. Does want me to get it? All right. So um, you caused you to reflect. There's there's something else I want to insight, and this is leading to a point with my dad, is he used to hang the phone up like this. I mean, we're talking about when he was in like his fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll talk, and that sounds good. All right. That's what it'd be. Yeah, okay. He would even talk while the phone was going down. Okay, I'm gonna talk to you about. He just hang up. Bye. You might get a bye. This was when he was busy in business and things. But when Jeff died, you he started ending every every conversation. I love you. That's I right. Lo I love you. How come? Because I didn't tell him enough. I did tell him that I loved him, uh, and he told me that he loved me. Uh, I don't know whether it was drug induced or what, but uh, we had some uh, tender moments. Uh, between father and son, and we had some very funny moments that I missed tremendously. Mm. As you know, I have had some funny moments with you. Yes, and it's it's uh, it's a pleasure to look back on those mm. and be able to recall them. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, a real blessing to your life. Yeah. Yeah. But I would prefer to have him here. Sure. Sure. So, uh, my point in bringing that up is that he, his passing changed my dad and that he told me a few years later, you know, we just don't have that much time with each other and we need to communicate the love that we have for each other. So we're talking about, and I'm reiterating this, my dad married my mom at such a young age. They stayed together through thick and frickin' thin and worked hard and supported their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids. And we're talking some high drama over these decades. They've, they've stayed in it. Ooh. I'm sorry, I don't do this on the show, but they fought through it. And, you know, we're imperfect beings, but they have grown. I mean, we're talking about a man who's grown to the point where now every time he says, he says, I love you in a conversation. And he is opening up to ideas that from a guy who came from parents are in jail and drinking and a tough life to, to reach this point. Again, I want to ask you, this is a guy who has supported me with my mom. Are you going to try to tell me that he's going to hell forever? Because he right here has not believed and confessed to a knowing of something that we say we know.
that he hasn't said Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I accept him as Lord and Savior and are we going to say this man is going to burn forever in hell having entered this life with what he has and it's gonna exit probably within the next 10 years 10 he's gonna yeah. exit here sooner than that 10 <laughs> and and he's gonna be gone forever from this physical realm we're not gonna see him again but he's going to go into this place of suffering I mean, think about this stuff because that's a major point we've been trying to really address. This afterlife suffering, which is what you, what many religious, which many Calvinists will say, sorry, God has created him to come here, do what he has done, only to die and burn forever and ever and ever in an actual, literal, miserable burning hell. I mean, wake the heck up. Wake up. We know what the tenets say in the scripture. We've proven those. We know the context and we know the original languages. But wake up through this dogma. And we have to stop talking about it this way and start talking about it this way. Dad, do you believe that you, and being the man I think you are, you might answer this the way I think, do you think that we should reap what we sow? Yeah. I thought you'd say that. Yeah. So if you have done something that is of benefit, you should get the benefits from that. And if you haven't put the work in, then you will not reap what, what uh, you won't reap because you haven't sown. Is that correct? I haven't. I haven't reaped religion. Mm -hmm. You haven't sown religion. And I haven't sown it. So I... Uh, I don't know what it what it would bring, you know. Does it bring me some kind of happiness? Mm -hmm. Well, it did at one time because it helped me raise my children, mm -hmm. and that was important to me. It was important to me to say, yeah, I believe in Mormonism, mm -hmm. but when I got to a point where I could really analyze it without the kids mm -hmm. being involved. Mm -hmm then I've made up a different choice. That's right. So socially, physically, materially, it was beneficial to you. Yeah. You you sowed to that church. You paid tithing. You, you participated. Still do. Call it, still, still do. Right. Yeah. So you've sown to the church, and you've reaped from it. That's a given day. Yeah. So let me ask you, this is a tough question. What do you suppose in this life that you can sow to that you'll reap the benefits of after when all this material stuff is gone. If I knew that. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now. It's love. It's why well, I, I love everybody. Guess what? There's not too many people that I don't, I don't care for. And you've shown that love through your actions. It's a verb. Love is a verb. It's not a feeling. So you have shown your love for your wife by by continuing on with her you've shown your love to your son who's passed your love to all your children you've given us forgiveness for things or crimes against you you've tried to support you try to be ethical in your business you 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 don't want to rip people off you've tried to be honest you've tried to be honest which many religious people are not so religion is the thing that benefits you here and it benefits your family here. That, that exchange, you know, you don't take your kids to church. You let the world raise them. You could reap some really bad kids. Yeah. Yeah. But for you personally, the idea is that heart, like mom said, God will judge your heart. 
he's going to say, how, what's, what guided you? What, how much love did you show? And that is what will carry on beyond. That's the currency of the afterworld because scripture says God is love. So can, bringing this full circle, can you agree or think to at least consider this idea that a God of love planted a universe that's incomprehensible, the way you would plant an incomprehensible garden, and he planted an incomprehensible human beings with so many capacities and abilities to be free and not, and he just lets you live your life, and you choose how you're going to sow and reap in the future. Can you conceive of that kind of God? Yeah, that would be easier to conceive that kind of God, I think, than something that's... Religious? Omnipotence, you know, creating this giant universe. That kind of thinking I could probably accept, mm. uh, but I would have to give it some thought. I'll give that some thought. Any final thoughts? You're, you're entering the uh, twilight sunset years of life. You're getting older. I have entered them. <laughs> <laughs> you're still entering. Yeah. The, the the final is when there's no more talking or moving. Yeah. <laughs> Any final things you want to share with grandkids, great-grandkids? No, I love them all. And uh, I have some outstanding people in my family. Uh, you're one of them. Thanks, Dan. Uh, I'm very happy with what you're doing. And I wish you all the luck in the world. Thanks. Appreciate it. And I do that with all of them. You do. I know you, you do. You know, I want you to be successful. Yeah. Uh, I don't have anything else. I love my wife. And uh, that's about it. We'll end it there. Complaining over the years about uh, the LDS Church uh, and its failures, um, deceptions, and there are practices. We could, I mean, we did, I don't know, seven years of shows all about it. But I learned something from my friend Mark. Uh, when you stop including yourselves in your complaints uh, in your life, for instance, I was lied to, I was tricked, uh, I had this happen to me at their hands, and, and, and you start to replace that with God. Uh, God allowed me to be raised LDS. God allowed me to have a mom like I had, and a, a dad like I have. Uh, God has led me through all these different things in my life. Then you start to move from anger and bitterness toward the injustices that we will all have at the hands of any organized religion. And you'll start to move into a realm of gratitude and uh, appreciation. And those things are in harmony with the fruit of the Spirit. And those things are in harmony with the environment that God is said to uh, embody. I am grateful to God for all that he has given to me in my life. Uh, my faithful LDS mom, uh, I'm grateful to him for her. 
and the fact that she will exit this life faithful LDS, contrary to the absolute lunatics who would surmise that she is going to wake up in, in, in the flames of hell forever because she used this religion to her advantage to raise kids. Uh, just don't buy it. I'm grateful to God for my faithless uh, but faithful LD, uh, non-LDS dad. I'm grateful to God uh, through all the people that he's introduced me to, the good ones and the bad ones. I've learned from all of them. My entire family, uh, my parents' family, far and wide, all my siblings, brothers and sisters, some LDS, some not, some uh, faithful to God and, and active in their religion, some of this world, uh, all a blessing to me, every single one of them. And I've spent decades of my life, decades, hours a day almost for decades, studying the Bible studying God and studying religion. And uh, I, I, I swear to you, I'll throw anything out if it isn't fitting with the contextual understanding of Scripture. And there is so much of this stuff, you guys, we've got to toss. We've got to toss so much of this stuff. I don't think anymore God really... There's an old saying that says, it's not the dog in the fight, it's the fight in the dog. Have you ever heard that? Uh, and, and I think maybe when it comes to religion, maybe God sees it that way too. It's not the church you're in. It's the heart that's in you when you're in that church. Every single religion has absolutely beautiful Christian people in it. And every single one of them have some of the most horrific human beings you've ever met. Mormons, Catholics, Baptists, all the same. The question is, who are you? Who are you in your relationship to God through Jesus Christ? That is the message. And, and I've learned and matured. And you take heat for this. You, you, people say you've changed. You weren't ready. You, you never really learned the truth. All the stuff they say. But I wanted you to meet my parents so you could see um, a couple people. And I want you to examine your heart. What do you think? What's, I mean, we're not God, we don't know, but what is their destination according to your theology? What is your estimation of, of those types of people, if not them, others that you know? What about those good LDS people who wouldn't hurt a fly, who have let the religion be part of their life? What about the, the good Catholic people, the good Hindu people, the good Muslim people? Don't misunderstand, Jesus is the only way. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess someday that he's the Christ. But you look at them in your office. You're sitting across from some Hindu guy who is devout to God. He is devout to his wife and children. He tries. You tell me because he was raised in that in India and he comes and he's devout that way. You tell me that God knowing that is going to burn him up forever in hell. The quicker we can get rid of this rhetoric and let God decide what the hearts are inside of people rather than the church that they're associated with, I think the, the further along we're going to get. Next week, we have Cassidy McCrane coming on for a live interview with me uh, right here on Heart of the Matter. And remember, on October 31st, we're changing up the show. 
and uh, it's going to be bold and brash in a, in a new, entirely new way. And uh, we hope that you'll tune in and check that out, plus the new show, Christianarchy Today, for college students. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind. And I won't be coming out, I'm going in. This man's awake. A storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light 